From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour was made with the opening of two new businesses in Rochester. One a bakery, the other a restaurant and catering company. The pandemic put a great deal of pressure on restaurants that were already on the financial edge in this country. And as a result, an estimated 90,000 American restaurants closed in the first 18 months of the pandemic. Now, there's always some turnover and closure. And while the results were not as catastrophic as some predicted back in March of 2020, it has been rough. Which brings us to an interesting question. You might ask, who in their right mind is opening a restaurant or a food establishment now? I can find dozens of articles going back a decade offering warnings about the slim margins and financial challenges of running these kinds of businesses. And it has gotten harder. But in a sense, what's so interesting to me is there are the the signs of light on the horizon now. And the two owners in question happen to be women of color who jumped in for very different reasons. One woman grew up cooking Puerto Rican classics with her mother and grandmother, then grew her own ideas slowly on social media, joined the commissary in Rochester in 2021. We'll tell you about the commissary coming up. And then she purchased a food truck and really ramped up her operations. And the bakery It's run by a woman whose husband was diagnosed with celiac disease. She became a self-taught baker. Before that turn, she was an automotive engineer. She joined the commissary in 2021, launched her own retail space last month. Regular Connections listeners know I am a sucker for good stories, of course. I'm also a fan of the hospitality scene. I think getting together matters. I think dining together matters, connecting with human beings in person if we can. And I know how difficult it can be for those businesses to survive and thrive. This hour, a conversation about the state of the local scene, and we'll talk about the impact that the commissary is having. Um, If you're not familiar with it, don't worry. We'll talk about it. It launched in October of 2020. And we'll tell you about their mission coming up. In fact, Barb Glassman is the interim president of the commissary in Rochester. Welcome, Barb. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Kayla Sandoval, owner of Biscotti Brewers. Kayla, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. On the line with us is Ronnie McClive, owner of Petite Poutinery and the Poutine Truck. Ronnie, welcome back to the program. Hey, uh, what's going on? Uh, well, you know, just another day in on Connections talking about the food scene, which... <laughs> <laughs> Which we love, but this is this was really interesting to me because um, you know when I heard about the commissary uh, just recently, I was talking to a friend who's like, "Well, you know about the commissary," and I was like, "Do I? Do I really know?" Barb, you guys got started in October of 2020, which is a hard time to get going. Pre-vaccines, kind of in the heart of going into the fall and cold weather, you know, pre-vaccinated COVID year. Uh, but what was the mission of the commissary? Tell us about that. So the goal of the commissary is to incubate and help both existing and emerging businesses. So Kayla, who we're gonna be talking with today, is one of our startup businesses. And obviously on the phone, Ronnie, is somebody who actually used the commissary early on while she was waiting to build out her retail space. So those are a couple of examples of what the commissary is doing. And we provide both technical support, a certified commercial kitchen, um, where they can be working out of to both work on their formulations, develop their market, we help open market outlets and um, really create a community of folks focused on the same thing. And they're really looking to innovate our marketplace here. You know, the mission for the commissary was to rebuild, you know, what we need to be doing. I mean, this was in the works since 2016. It took a couple of years to raise a couple million dollars to build the facility. We're located inside the Sibley building right near the Mercantile at 250 East Main Street. And we're home to over 50 emerging business, existing and emerging businesses today. So 
you know, for people listening, thinking, well, you know, yeah, food and, and drink and hospita- hospitality is tough, but um, why do you why do you need this? Why does sort of the free market not determine who can get up on their feet and who can get going and succeed, et cetera? Why do we need the commissary? Well, the commissary is there. The cost of getting into your own space mm-hmm. um, is extraordinary. And, you know, Kayla will speak to um, the couple of years she's been in formulating her business and going out creating an amazing product line, and and then what it takes to get yourself established, to get the credit, to get the lease and the retail space, it's a journey. It's a true journey for folks unless you've got some heavy-duty funders. And so what we do help both, you know, from the incubator folks, we help them from concept. Um, we've got partners here in town like the Urban League, Just Cause, Ibero. They help folks actually get their business identified and legalized. And then they come in and we focus solely on folks in the food and beverage industry and help them develop that plan and and go out there and test it. How many since opening in October of 2020 have you worked with? I would say now that we are probably up in the mid 60s of the folks who have actually joined. Um, and then they uh, there's attrition, right? Some folks oh, sure. actually yeah. graduate out. Um, we've just brought on two more members this week. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. Our goal is to bring them in and within two to three years, make sure that we've afforded them the opportunity to hit the street or get into um, co-packing and distribution. And so we've got a suite of industry experts. We call them entrepreneurs in residence. And we, fo- we launch folks. We also have staff on hand to help people in the moment working in the kitchen. And um, the whole intent is to create this environment where they can come in, work very independently. They rent time um, by the hour. And we also have a performance kitchen where you can hold public events on the front end. Barb, have you had people come in to join the commissary and try to get a new concept up off the ground but decide it's just not working? I don't want to take a big financial jump here and at least the commissary has helped me see, you know, be careful. Absolutely. And that's something that we're seeing more and more of. You know, um, I would say in our first several months, we had, you know, somebody come in, an accomplished chef, and they were doing just that. They thought they would build up and do their own thing. And pretty soon they said, you know what, this isn't my gig, you know, and he's now a head chef, you know, here in town. And so, you know, those are the types of things it is, call it a playground, right? You Mm -hmm. know, Um, but these folks are brave. Right. And they have to be resilient. And, you know, they come in with ideas. We have some folks who show up with their great aunt's recipe for lemon cake. And and they're out there trying to make that the next shelf ready product. Well, what does it do for you then when you see the folks that come in with this concept and then they, they do get it off the ground and you see what it can become? What has that been like for you? It is so exciting, you know, and just to see the energy in their eyes. I mean, as we'll hear more of Kayla's story, um, she is she is at that launching point, and it takes it takes a while. Depends on the maturity of the idea, you know. Um, like when we talk about Ronnie and what's gone on um, for her organization, you know, they were just waiting for more room, and we were able to fill a void for them, and that was one of the big aspects of the concept, right? So we've got. Um, certified space for people to work in where they can be waiting for their expansion. And then we've got this incubator side of the organization where we help them really prepare 
you know, we have partnership with organizations like Foodlink, where we'll identify folks who want to be in the culinary industry, get them through really understanding what that takes, and then they would come over to the commissary next that they're ready to, to get into the whole idea of a business plan and launching. Yeah, I, I think about the way people kind of talk about how pessimistic uh, a lot of us are or people kind of perceive society to be. But I always say, um, if, first of all, if, if you have children, that is an act of optimism. If you launch a business, that is an act of optimism. There are acts of optimism happening all the time. And your incubator is just one of the launching grounds of that, Barb. It's absolutely. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. There is so much positive energy there. People walk in every day and, and there's a new fun and interesting surprise, whether it's a recipe, it's a new client, it's a new um, catering event, you know, and everyone, you know, sits there. And what I'd love to see is how they will support each other mm-hmm. in the moment. Can I borrow some equipment? You know, I'm, I'm, I've got this new gig come in. You want to partner with me on that? It's it's so much fun to see the sense of community that's forming. Well, before we get Kayla's story, I just want to ask Ronnie, you know, I mean, you're you're part of the I don't know if 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 the phrase is like if you're part of the OG of the food truck and, and the, the kind of the cool modern scene here, Ronnie, but um, <laughs> with petite poutine, but people might be surprised to hear that you guys dipped your toe in at the commissary. Tell us about that. Yeah, um well I like to think of myself as a young at heart OG, if that counts. Oh, well, <laughs> but, for um, sure. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we we came to the commissary in a different way. We had um, heard about it, and obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, we thought it was an awesome idea. These these kind of incubators exist in other cities, and we had been to some cities and looked at them and, and thought it was a great idea. Um, but when we were members there for the time period that we were there, um, we had been looking to build out a restaurant, and... Um, we were right at the beginning of like that process starting and at the end of what I will call um, some landlord miscommunication, uh, what that looked like was he thought he had told us he was selling the building and needed us out by a certain day and uh, didn't, you know, there was a miscommunication there. So um, we ended up being in a position where we had to leave our kitchen quickly, like within side of a month. And it was right at the start of our food truck season. So what the commissary actually allowed us to do is we had been in business for 10 years with the trucks um, and we were able to quickly move over, continue operations almost seamlessly. I mean, I don't know if anybody in our customer base realized that we were having this background, um, you know, panic. Um, and, And we were able to kind of get over there and continue business through our busy season and coming, you know, through that first um, big summer or second big summer of COVID. So it really allowed us to kind of bridge a gap that if we hadn't have been able to do that, we there's a real possibility that we would have had to close for six months. And those just so happen to be our busiest six months because of the timing of the miscommunication. Yeah. And talking to uh, various folks in, in the industry, uh, they were telling me around the time, if we close for six months, we're closing permanently. Like that, that we, don't, we cannot survive that versus others say, yeah. you know, we're going to try to weather it and get to the other side. So everyone's in a slightly different position. But Ronnie, when you yeah. think back to those early months, really three years ago this month, um, into April, into May, was there a conversation among you and your peers like, like it, it's going to be a wasteland on the other end of this or – did you maintain a sense of optimism? I mean, I'm hopelessly optimistic. So mm-hmm. I'm always thinking that, you know, there has to be an end in sight or we just adapt. I think um, there were some real 
times where, you know, we learned a lot about our own business. Liz and I used to always be very, or we are still, but we used to be proud of the fact that like with our food truck business, we don't, we would say put all our eggs in one basket. You know, we don't do just catering or just festivals. So when festivals went away with COVID, um, we, well, we have this variety of our customer base, um, but with COVID, we weren't seeing any events and we did kind of realize, oh, all our eggs are in the event basket. So being able to kind of like have that perspective and learning things about a business 10 years in, um, we kind of made the choice to stay optimistic and continue pivoting, which I think we saw every business who got through COVID um, positively or, or just got through it without closing. Everybody was looking at this position of having to pivot, stay optimistic and be open to, okay, well, now my business is this. I thought it was this, but maybe now this is the turn we have to take. And where is Petit Poutinery now? Uh, well, we are getting ready to open our trucks for the season. Um, we have two uh, poutine trucks. And Petit Poutinery, the restaurant, opened one year ago in February. And we're at 44 Elton Street across from Three Huts Brewing. And it's going it's going good. We're still getting the word out there. We're spreading the word that to people that, yes, we have a restaurant. Yes, there's more things than poutine. Um, it's a, it feels sometimes like a slow climb, but it is um, the feedback has been good, and we're proud of the food we're putting out. So I would say overall we're, we're in a good place. It's a really cool space, and it happens to be in one of Rochester's more walkable neighborhoods, so it's a really fun area to be in. Um, and I was talking before the program with Kayla Sandoval, the owner of Biscotti Brewers, and Kayla's like, yeah, I know. You bump, you cross paths with the Ronnie <laughs> yeah. and every. Uh, it's a small sort of ecosystem, isn't it, Kayla? Hey, Ronnie. <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> I was literally going to text been, you like, where do I go this morning? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you've been busy, though. I haven't seen you in a while, which is how I know you're uh, you're oh, yeah. working over there. Yeah, I keep, I keep my nose to the grindstone. But I, and I, I want to kind of give this, um, give a shout out really quick to Lizzie, who's the other half of the dynamic duo between Petite Poutinerie. When I first started in the commissary, really the only other person that was in there a lot of the time was Lizzie. And now that I'm kind of like through that beginning, you know, year of business, I realize like how valuable production time was. And I remember pretty much any time I had a dumb question, I would just like walk up to Lizzie and be like, Lizzie, can I ask you something? And now when people walk up to me and do it, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so busy. But Lizzie always (laughs) took like, you know, she always took the like two or three minutes to just like stop what she was doing and talk to me. And I just... Like, I can't tell you how much I still appreciate that leadership from her. And even now, whenever I'm, like, having, like, a tough moment, I'm like, I'm just going to go sit in poutine and, like, look at the place and know, like, (laughs) I can't talk about you guys without getting crazy emotional. But, like, I love seeing you guys' dream come true because that lets me know, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. Sorry. That's me being emotional. But I really love you guys and I really love your leadership. And that's how small the food industry is here. And that's how fierce a lot of the women in the food industry are, which is why, like, just tell Izzy I said, sup. And I love her. Don't tell her I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, nobody can hear you. It's just between us. It's just between us. Yeah. Sorry. So Kayla's point there that she was making before the show and then frankly, in that beautiful comment that you just gave, Kayla. Sorry. Um, it, to me, 
there's an interesting parallel when I look at like the Finger Lakes wine industry and when I look at the Rochester food scene. And I know that my bias as like a human being is like I always want people to like be collaborative and like it's really great and rising tide lifts all boats. But I also know that um, competition exists. Of course, yeah. competition will always exist in in this sort of realm. Um, but it's also fiercer, in my observation, in larger cities. And I think there's a, a number of different reasons that th the sense of real community and kind of just helpfulness exists, maybe more predominantly in a region like the Finger Lakes for wine or in a Rochester food scene. Part of that's because it's small. Everybody kind of knows each other. So if you really um, you make people angry, you treat people poorly, you're going to have a hard time getting by for a long <laughs> yeah. time. No one's going to want to work with you or for you or... Uh, or get together at all. But at the same time, it's it's also, um, I, I think the collaborative spirit is because when you're building from kind of a small to mid-sized base, nothing feels guaranteed, and the success of one often leads to the success of others. That's my observation. What do you see, Kayla? No, I mean, <laughs> like legitimately some days I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do today? And I look at my prep list and I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're baking today. And then I think strategically, like, what are you business-wise doing today? And it's been interesting because when I first, like, transitioned from my previous, like, full-time job, you know, that story was kind of always written for me on a day-to-day -day what I was supposed to be doing. And I realized, like, there's such a larger, a larger strategy and everything now feels like, okay, this stepping stone is the next stone that I need to get to, like, this level. And it's it sounds so funny to say it, but like literally this morning I got a a sticker gun that puts dates on the back of my things because um, you have to date all of your food for, you know, uh, sanitary reasons. And I was like, man, I have been handwriting dates on all these printed labels for two years. <laughs> so this morning I had this <laughs> moment of like, I've finally got a date gun and literally putting today's date sticker on things with so much joy that I didn't know. And it's so silly because like it's a small thing in the process, but it's like, wow, I'm not going to spend two hours at the end of every shift dating things anymore. I'm not doing it. I don't have to. I have this cute little date gun that's going to do it for me. And so it's like literally every little accomplishment, every process improvement, every business improvement, every product improvement, every customer interaction, even when you do have the negative ones, because we all have them, um, they're all a stepping stone that's like putting together the puzzle of the overall picture and the overall piece. So it's like beforehand, I could just like time warp through weeks of time where I'm like, what have I actually done with my life? And the answer was, I don't know, nothing except for help make somebody else who's already rich, richer. And, you know, I'm, I'm not rich by any means now. Um, but it's just like every little, like legitimately every little improvement counts. Every little, you know, we always say every penny counts, but it's like every moment really counts and it always contributes to the larger picture in some positive way, even if it's like a tough lesson to learn or a hard thing to figure out, it's still contributing to a net positive. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, but. it's it's and for listeners who are hearing Kayla Sandoval's story here, the owner of Piscotti Brewers, let's make sure people know where you are and where they can find you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so right now we actually just launched a temporary residency um, at a retail spot out in Pittsburgh. Um, it's called Pittsburgh MRKT. It's on 5 Monroe Ave. It's right um, right off of Main Street in Pittsburgh. We're open Friday, Saturday, um, In the Sunday. village of Pittsburgh. 
In the village of Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like right in the middle yeah. of it, yep. Um, we're open there, and the nice thing with that space is that the owner, um, Danielle Fliss, she actually creates a space that's effectively like turnkey ready for any person like me who doesn't have like the funding to build out a full retail space yet. You know, I think I'm still um, a couple you know, at least 18 months away from being able to finance building out my own space. So having that space, though, has really helped, like, legitimize our business, like doing pop-ups and whatever. They're cute, but, you know, most people are like, they don't see it as like a real, like a serious business. And, and Ronnie can probably speak to this more than I do. But, you know, people don't realize that food trucks or people who are popping up, we have to have, you know, commercial kitchens that we're baking out of, Um or home process exemption places that we're cooking out of. And sometimes people don't, they don't want to buy food from you because they don't know where you're making things. Um, and even just having this retail shop where we're just, we just have a stable outlet that we can sell to people at um, is really awesome. So anyways, we're at 5 Monroe Ave in Pittsburgh, New York, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Saturday is usually our busiest day. The shop is full. And the nice thing is that right now, because we have that retail spot, we're actually in a position to have strategically partnered with, I think at this point, 14 or 15 other businesses, predominantly women-owned, predominantly women of color-owned businesses. Um, and we're all selling our specialty goodies out of there. So it's a really cool, sweet little food shop. And that's only been open for a month? Uh, it's Yeah, since February 10th. Um, and it's full on Saturdays? Uh Yes. So, yes. <laughs> I, I imagine you already have regulars. Do you have do you have people you recognize? I do, and I really love those people. Um I I actually had a customer come in recently. Um Jenna, if you're listening, shout out girl. <laughs> she was like, "Oh my god, I don't see you at markets anymore." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know because I'm I'm baking every day all day." She's like, "Oh, it's just not the same." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not how we think about it. We think about it as you're always seeing me." even if you're not seeing me, because she's always coming in to buy my stuff. And then when you do get to see me in person, it's like, you know, that extra little bonus sass that she didn't know she was going to get that day. So, <laughs> But we we, abs- we have amazing regulars. I have people who started shopping with me when I first opened um, in like, I think we first hit our first market in like April of 21. Going it, out selling at markets. Going out and selling at markets. Yeah, different pop-ups around you're town. Because you're doing the baking where? I, I do all of the baking at the commissary. And, and still to do. Yeah, still, still today. Yeah, yeah. Still today, do all of the baking at the commissary. And then everything is cooled, packaged, labeled with ingredients, dated. And then we take it out to places around town. Um, we're in like a couple cafes, a couple restaurants, but for the most part, like we're still, you know, we're still kind of connecting with our larger audience. Um, there's a lot of trust to build when you run like an allergen specialty place, um, for sure. Can, can you put it the way that you put it to me before the program? Because maybe <laughs> if I remember, <laughs> Kayla Storius did not go to school for this. You went to school for engineering. You're an automotive engineer. Uh, well, mechanical engineer. I don't want to brand myself automotive engineer because they're different. They're different animals. Um, <laughs> All my OG automotive friends will know. So, yeah, I graduated with a degree from RIT in mechanical engineering. And um, I actually got a job at a place here in Rochester, like right right after I graduated. And then within three months, I was laid off. And I was like, wow, this feeling of not having any control over my destiny when I literally just spent all this money getting this like fancy degree from an amazing school. Like, this is ridiculous. This sucks. And I really like during that month and a half of downtime, I really took that time to think about like, what do you actually love? Like, what do you actually think about all the time? And at that point, I had already met my 
then boyfriend, now husband. Um, and I had I'd been baking since I was a kid, like before I could see over the counter. Um, and my 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 grandpa used to tell me, like, honey, you need to slow down on the easy bake oven mixes like we only have so much money for these. So, like, figure out how to stretch them, figure out how to make them work. So literally, even as a kid, I was challenged, like, how can you make the the resources that you have at hand go farther? Um, which is a great mentality to have. And so when I got to college, I'd met some folks that had, you know, different diets than I did. And it just so happened when I started dating my beautiful, amazing husband. Um, <laughs> we went on our first date and he ordered a salad and he's like, no croutons. And I was like, what? You don't like bread? And he's like, no, I'm I'm celiac. And, and at that point, I had already heard of what celiac was. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And he was like, that's not the reaction I get when I tell people I'm gluten free. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I meant like, that's so cool because I actually know what that is. And I understand like how to do some baking stuff for that. So um yeah, I, you know, ever since then, it's kind of been like a labor of love to to woo my sweetheart. And um, the great thing is, is that the gluten free industry is a growing industry. And, you know, people when they come in with us, they have a lot of questions when they first meet us, um, when they first try, you know, my products. And it's all about building trust. So they'll come in, they'll spend five dollars the first time they meet us. And then the next time they come in, they're like, I want a birthday cake. I want this. I want that. Oh, I've seen the pictures. They're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. you. And, and you're self-taught. A hundred percent self-taught. Self-taught, which, you know, as an engineer, Kayla's very smart, figured it out. Uh, but Still figuring it out every day. Did you, um, did you get back in engineering after that? I do engineering every day. Every day that I bake. But I mean, you talked about getting a job for three months, then you get laid off. Oh, out of school. yeah, yeah. And then, and then were you employed in engineering? <laughs> yeah. So so when I had that downtime, I was like, OK, what do you actually want to do? And that was when I wrote my first business plan for um, BBs. That's what I call Biscotti Brewers. Um, I wrote that business plan for BBs. And then I was like, OK, girl, well, this is cute. But like you have a ton of debt and you have a ton of debt. And you need, <laughs> Be pragmatic. And you, and you need money to start a business. Duh. So I, you know, one of the places I had interned at, um, they're an absolutely fabulous company, loved them. Um, lots of people drive their vehicles. I was with them for a long time. I loved the people I worked with. Ultimately, it just wasn't where my heart was at. But that, you know, the seven years I was working for them, I was like, okay, what can I learn from a business sense about process improvements, about, you know, um, the Kaizen mindset, like continually improving, continually changing things. Um, I learned a lot from them. And one day I was like, I've paid off all my loans and I've saved up a lot of money and I'm going to leave. And that was very tough. Um, it was a big jump for me to go, especially because like you never know what people are going to be like, oh, you were an engineer. Like, what are you doing going to a kitchen? What people don't understand is that working in a kitchen, you put who you are like on the plate every single day. As an engineer, nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was. My name doesn't go on the vehicle. You know, that's their badge. That's their credit. And, and you know, they earn that. It's their business. Um, but, like, I just didn't have that satisfaction. And, I like, I had to leave. And it was super tough to do it. But I legitimately have never looked back. I'm not a good guest on shows because I'm too Are you emotional. Kidding? Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Apparently I'm a big baby. Um, but yeah, I've just I've like never looked back and I just like kept going forward and and I've met amazing people since then. 
thank you, kind lady, bringing me a tissue for <laughs> being a gigantic wuss. No, no, no. I, I want to ask yeah. you a serious question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask away. Ask away. First of all, don't ever apologize. A few times a year I cry on this program, and I'm always worried that it like makes it about me, so I'm like, oh, don't do that. But life is real. I don't think we engage with our emotions enough. And it's so I, tough. You're an amazing you're an amazing guest, and you're already going to be invited back because we're thrilled to have you. <laughs> oh, God. But, Kayla, okay. I want to ask you a serious question. Yeah. Like, 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 why do you think this is hitting you emotionally? Is it because um, – is there judgment that you feel about, like, leaving an engineering field that was, you know, ostensibly lucrative and safe? You know, I think it's just because every day I wake up and I'm like, I just love what I do so much, and I just want to keep doing it every day. <laughs> She just she just I, hit the cough button. She knows how to work it now. Engineers figure hey, out quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I can I jump in real quick? Yeah. I, I just I just want to say that um I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome that Kayla cried because I'm with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that I think it's great because people who are listening hopefully are getting a sense of like, you know, whether you're a parent and it's your kid and you put everything into them or like you're a business owner, you know, you said in a really nice way, which was you put yourself on the plate in front of people. And, um, you know, as a person who's trying, who thinks you have a good idea, right? And then you start that business, you put it out in the public, then it's kind of your job every day to prove to yourself and other people like, oh yeah, no, this was a good idea. So yeah, yeah. sometimes that it feels heavy. And um, we, you know, I know I feel the burden myself of like, am I treating my employees right? Do they like working here? Do they feel like they're um, being, you know, that they're in an environment where they can learn and grow. Yeah. And same with the customers. When they're here, they're getting a good experience that makes them want to come back. So, um, you know, that's why Yelp is the devil. And it's hard for us to go on there. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're right, too, especially because, you know, sometimes people think like, oh, like, I just... I'm just using this as an example, like, oh, I had a bad taco. And I'm like, right. you guys have no idea that the person in back who's, like, making your food probably hasn't slept enough, probably hasn't ate enough themselves, <laughs> hasn't hydrated properly. Um, and they're literally there to try and give you their best every single day. Because let's be honest, like, we don't want to suck at what we do. Like, we want to be good at what we're doing. And sometimes even on days when you, like, bring it all and you had your full eight hours and you had your cup of coffee and you're all good to go, sometimes, like, the dough just doesn't care what you want and it does what it wants anyways. Right. And then, you know, everything you just spent the last, like, you know, 24 hours working on just kind of goes to a goes to heck in a handbasket and you just have to like suck it up and be like, OK, I'm not going to take it personal that today my yeast decided that it really wanted to like be a monster and overproof the stove and now it's unusable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I think bakers in general were just like an extra level of like crazy and an extra level of emotional. <laughs> we talk about it all the time with my other baking friends. Like, why do we do this? Oh, we my love God. it. We um, love it. I, I am so glad that Kayla's here. And if listeners, if you're just joining us, let me kind of reset what we're doing this hour. Um, Kayla Sandoval's here, the owner of Biscotti Brewers, which you can find the retail shop um, at least four days a week in open in Pittsburgh, right on Main Street in the uh, Village. Three days. Three days. I'm Friday, sorry. Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Don't make me work harder. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but Biscotti Brewers is one of many um, businesses, growing businesses, that have been using the commissary, which is uh, in Rochester. And um, Barb Glassman is here, the interim president of the commissary, which launched in October 2020 to be an incubator, to be a launching pad for exactly what Kayla's doing, but also 
what people like Ronnie McClive and her partners are doing at Petite Poutine and Petite Poutinery. Um, and in a moment, I'm going to bring in another uh, small business owner who's going to kind of weigh in on sort of the, the current landscape, because this is a good chance for us to take stock of where the landscape of food, hospitality, beverage is in this little snapshot with the commissary helping others get up and going as we try to look ahead. There's been a lot of looking back and kind of mired in the pandemic, and this has been hard. And it has been hard, but we're trying to look ahead here and, and frankly, to be optimistic. So uh, a couple. let me close the loop on a couple of things. Kayla, what are you baking today? I want people to actually hear what you're doing. I saw some of the pictures, and I was like, wow, damn. But, like, <laughs> what are you making? Um so I'm actually putting together a couple specials for this weekend. Um, we have a fabulous bread baker that is also working out of the Pittsburgh market with us. And just to kind of like recap that whole concept, we have leadership. It's our name on the door. But, you know, I just looked at it and was like, wow, I cannot, you know, make all the product to fill a beautiful shop on my own every week. So who are all my wonderful friends that are also doing amazing things? We have a plant-based cheesemaker. We've got an amazing wild sourdough woman. We've got a nut-free macaron maker who's a beautiful soul. And so anytime we have products that come into our shop that like don't sell right away, I'll use this as an example, like bread. Um, you know, sometimes we make bread and it's only good for a couple days. What do you do with bread that, you know, is no longer good to eat? right away. You make bread pudding. So today I'm doing a very utilitarian task and I'm going to make some beautiful bread pudding for this weekend. So we're going to have that as a special. Um, I think we have a couple slices of like vegan cheesecake too, um, made by another business. And then for my part of it, hopefully um, this afternoon, I'll just be packaging up products because all the hard work for the week has been done. And now we just have to have people come out on a Saturday and get a beautiful cup of coffee, get some pastries, sit and relax, chat with us and, you know, let us know what they want to see next. Barb, what does it mean to you as the interim president of the commissary to hear this amazing story? It's what it's all about, Evan. You know, it seeing these folks put their heart and soul into what they're doing every day. And those tears are pretty darn normal around the commissary, right? Yeah, it's I an mean, emotional place. <laughs> it, I mean, and I think that, you know, that's what I've learned over my now two and a half years that I've been involved, that, you know, it food is emotion. Food is us. We all eat. We all get it. I think what the pandemic did for all of us is have a better appreciation for the variety and the options that we have in our community and and we have to rebuild, right? You know, we hear on a fairly regular basis some longstanding organizations that, you know, now have are not making it through. And we've got this next generation of folks coming in. You know, Ronnie talked about innovation. Everybody's pivoting. And, you know, what it does for me is to just see the dreams come true and know that we're providing some level of support. Some people come in like Ronnie, completely independent. They just need some space. They know what they need to do. They're rock stars to help other people while they're in the commissary. So that's our shared kitchen side. And then you've got folks like Kayla and you mentioned Lisa earlier in the broadcast. You know, they come in with a concept and they're now at this two-year mark. Uh, Lisa's going to be launching her food truck in, in um, April. You know, this is what it's all about, just getting this to the street. And that's really what our funders are looking for. You know, what are we doing to rebuild the the restaurant industry here in Rochester? Yeah, shout out to Lisa Malavez, the owner of K Chevere, um, just another one of the, 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 the new businesses on the scene and have come up through the commissary. And by the way, there is an event coming up. If you want to mark your calendar for Friday, March 31st. That's at the end of this month, Friday, March 31st, 
1st at 6 p.m. at the commissary. That's right. And which is where, by the way, Barb? So we are at 250 East Main Street, right in Sibley Square. Um, we are actually going to be taking over uh, the majority of the open space there where we've got, for those of us who have some age on us, the historical Sibley clock hangs right in that space. We're going to be have, be hosting um, over 30 of our members. We'll be doing tastings as part of this. Um, your, your tickets include a couple of drinks. We're going to have... Uh, Sweetheart, DJ Sweetheart, um, spinning vinyl that night, and we'll have some live demos. We're having an ice sculpture, and this is all to be an opportunity for people to come in. You know, we couldn't open properly during COVID. When we opened the doors in October 2020, six weeks later, we uh, everyone was shut down. I mean, I mean, we were there. Members could, you know, come in. Nobody could work, you know, anywhere close to each other, and you know, now we are truly at a point. Um, we've got this amazing group of people, and we're now here to showcase the types of the variety of different foods that are being developed here in the community. And that's what this is about. Come on in. There'll be tours of our kitchen. There'll be demos. And um, we're really here to show off our entrepreneurial makers, bakers, and chefs. That's what we're going to be doing that night. The and event, having a big party. The event on Friday, March, 30, March 31st, is called the Secret, the Secret Ingredient, a Benefit for the Commissary. So that's coming up then. RochesterCommissary.org to learn about the commissary and also learn about this event coming up if you want to attend. Now, as we, um, as we tell these inspiring stories... I, you know, realistically, um, it hasn't been an easy few years. And I want to bring in Kelly Metris, who is the owner of Selena's and chapter president of the New York State Restaurant Association, who has spoken very frankly on this program about, um, you know, the decisions uh, that um, some of the folks in restaurant management have to make. People like her, do you stay open? Can you expand what you're doing? Do you have to close? Kelly's kind of done all of it in the last few years. How are you doing, Kelly? Well, to put it that way, <laughs> uh, I'm good. I have declared 2023 as my year, and if I keep saying it out loud, it has to come true. <laughs> well, so that's where I'm at this year. Re- Same. Remind listeners um, some of uh, some of your portfolio and what has changed, because I know we talked on this program when you made uh, a decision on Knox, for example. But just remind people what you've been up to. Uh, well, I own Selena's Mexican Restaurant, and we were in the process of expanding when the pandemic hit. Um, I also owned Knox at that point. Um, it's been nine years, so we decided to close Knox last October. Um, I took over as chapter president in the middle of the pandemic. I'm super happy I wasn't the chapter president when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. but um, someone's got to take the place. And we're just trying to to get through. Um, we assume it's a five-year rollout for those of us that were in business before. And uh, we talk often. I'm also the co-founder of a women um, business owner support group called Bossy. Um, I know some of you on the show, uh, I just popped in. So I was like, who's on? Uh, all these amazing <laughs> women. Um, do you want to get stuff done? Get a bunch of women in the group. But um, we talk a lot on it that I almost am jealous of new business owners because you don't know what it was like. So you're not you don't know that your food costs used to be manageable. You don't know that your labor costs used to be manageable. You know what you have to charge um, off the get-go, right? Um, whereas I have 25 years of history that this restaurant's been open. I've only owned it for 13, but it's it's hard to to navigate and shift when you're not brand new. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. Well, K- Kayla, do you think about that? I mean, and, and K- I do. 
take us, by the way, take us through a little bit of the last couple of years, because when you left engineering, yep. how long ago was that now when you left engineering? Um, so I, I left my job officially in July of 21. July of 20. Okay. Yeah. So coming up on two years, right in the middle of the pandemic. Yep. And, um, and then, then we get, um, inflation and all kinds of, yep. you know, things kind of getting, getting wacky last year. So what has it been like? Kelly's making a really interesting point there. No. And I mean, it's totally fair because I think maybe once upon a time it might've been manageable. Um, I know for me, my plan, cause I, cause I started planning BBs in 2015. In 2015, I didn't know, none of us knew that 2020 was going to shut us all down. We had no clue. Um, you know, except for maybe the brave few who were guessing. Um, but for me, I my plan was to always leave my job in 2020. And so in February of 2020, my husband and I looked at each other and we had just canceled our honeymoon. And I was like, oh, wow. OK, so life is going to be different for a little bit. We don't know what this means. So I effectively decided to delay for a year. And I hope what I'm going to say next doesn't come off as like brash, but I, I really in my brain, I was like, there's going to be a lot of restaurants that close down. Um, and my husband and I just looked at each other. And, you know, throughout the entire pandemic, there was a local bakery, um, a gluten-free bakery where we lived in Michigan that, you know, we still would go and order bread from them because we were so scared for them. Um, and that was before we were even like truly, truly in the industry. Um, and I think there's a lot of like general public that, you know, is like, well, the, you know, the pandemic's over now, like we're back to normal. No, we're really not. I mean, I have to deal with the fact that now people, you know, when you staff people, 2020 impacted everybody differently. But I think one of the biggest things it did was people realized like, we've only got one life to live. Nothing is guaranteed. You don't have a lot of time. So if you're going to work somewhere, you got to work somewhere that you want to be. And so that means that, you know, in this industry, if somebody works for you, they could be like, yeah, I love baking. I love doing this. I love that. And uh, like, I love being in this industry. And then three weeks later, they're like, I hate this. I want to leave. And then they just quit. And you have no control over that. You've just spent three weeks training this person. You spent payroll on this person literally just to get them started for them to be like, yeah, bye. It, and it, you know, it happens. Um, and you guys have seen all of that spectrum. So, you know, for me as like still a very green newbie, I'm not, you know, ignorant to that at all that, you know, we we are lucky to be coming in at this time because I don't want to say the playing field was cleared. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of businesses that close down. So, like, you know, you can find restaurant equipment discounted and stuff. Um, but it's also tough because, you know, when people close down in 2020, they just some people walked out of their restaurant and, um, you know, people weren't paying rent. So now landlords and, and landowners are, are looking to make a lot more money to account for the deficit. So, you know, our startup costs are really high because of supply chain manufacturing issues. And, you know, what used to cost six thousand dollars, you know, five years ago now costs sixteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Um, so I think the barrier to entry, there's less players on the field, but the barrier to entry is significantly higher, I think. And of course, the workforce has totally changed because people don't want to go into a restaurant setting and put their life on the line anymore to be providing food in some cases. So it's a totally different like, you know, labor landscape. It's a totally different cost landscape. Um, the one benefit I will say is that anytime I have had to do a price increase, 
if somebody asks me about it, I flat out tell them, this is what my cost for flour is. This is what it used to be. So I think customers in general are becoming more aware of the fact that, no, this is not like a fast culture. Like you can't just have what you want when you want it for the price point you want it. If you want quality, you have to pay for it. Um, so there, there are people who are definitely getting that and understanding that. Um, I do still hear customers complain, like, why is a cup of coffee $4? And I'm like, I don't know, because coffee is, you know, $20 a pound if you're going to get the good stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, I want to let Kelly speak some more about her experiences and, and Ronnie speak some more on her behalf. But, um, you know, I think a lot of us newbies, we see what you guys are going through and, you know, we definitely like nod the hat to you guys being able to stay open and do your due, um, <laughs> especially to a lot of the women, because I think it's 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 easier sometimes for people who identify as male to just cut their losses and move on. But, you know, you do you do put it out there like as a female in this industry, like you put it out there that serious, you're here to do business. You're not here to be messed with. So, well, let me bring in, let me bring in Kelly and Ronnie on that. And by the way, Barbara writes to us to say. Evan, can you repeat the name of the bakery in Pittsburgh? I came in late. I'd like to check them out. It's Biscotti Brewers is yep. the name. A gluten-free bake shop, affectionately known as BB's, but Biscotti. Yeah, Biscotti Brewers, yeah. And we're, we're being housed by Pittsburgh MRKT, so 5 Monroe Ave. Um, so Kelly and Ronnie, so, you know, um, part of, I mean, there's a lot there from Kayla, but when she's talking about um, the challenge now of communicating to customers why maybe prices have moved, et cetera, it's probably harder when customers are have been there for years and expect something at a certain price point, and now it's an adjustment. Um, Kelly, how have you been communicating with customers, and how has that gone? Um, I actually decided instead of doing a blanket menu increase right now, we just started charging for chips. We've always given them away for free. We're huh. going into the 25th year of free chips at Selena's, and our chip prices were through the roof and the labor that goes in it. Um, so we're just charging appropriately and hoping that we will lose less money <laughs> overall. But I just and that gives and and people that have complained because I have gotten complaints about it. I just explained to them that in my view, you get to choose if you're going to pay the extra five dollars on your bill instead of me just upping everything. Yep. Um, and yeah. if you're not going to eat the chips, then like don't pay for them, right? So for me, as, as somebody that is in the shoes of many of my customers, because I do live that middle-class lifestyle and I am a family, you know, it's hard to go out to eat. And I don't want that sticker shock like I've gotten many times other places with my all my kids and my brood, right? And you get the bill and you're like, oh, crap, I didn't realize the prices went up that much. Yeah. Um, so it is hard and I get that. And that's why we're trying to maintain because we do know that things are tight for everybody. Uh, I do have some interesting numbers if you want to hear them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I was actually supposed to be in Albany last week, but there was a snowstorm. Uh, in 2019 to 2022, I ran all of my numbers. Um, my sales were down 21%. Um, my payroll was up 45%. My sick time PTO usage, because we did offer it in-house before it was mandated, uh, was up 258%. My COVID pay cost $11,000 uh, in 2022. My food purchases were up 44%. My utilities were up 38%. My an unemployment rate was up 213%. Um, and I lost quite a bit of money in 2022. 
and I've been pretty frank about it, that we used the grant money that we were able to receive during COVID and we stretched it out hoping to get through this year. Um, but yeah, so when you look at those numbers and you think about how much everything's gone up and our, even if our sales hit our 2019 numbers, the cost of everything that goes into it is so much higher than it used to be. Well, it's got to be the year of 2020. 2023 has got to be your year then, Kelly, like you said. 2023 <laughs> is my year. There you go. I mean, <laughs> no, those those numbers are tough. Um, Ronnie, what are you seeing? Yeah, a lot of the same. I mean, those numbers are, I was raising my eyebrows a bit, but then I was also like tilting my head like, mm, yeah, that sounds right, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I love Kelly when you were like, we, were, we remember when food cost was manageable. It's like, I remember when I used to fit into this size jeans and I know that's not going to be that way anymore. That's how I feel, you know? Um, it's like, that was, that was a beautiful distant memory. Um, but I mean, I think on our end, two things that we're doing actively is, well, actually three things. The first is I'm running numbers constantly. And Liz and I are talking with our, um, our, manager in house she's been with us five years she's amazing her name is alex probably seen her on the truck a hundred times we are doing labor numbers all the time whereas before and cost numbers all the time whereas before we got comfortable we knew our numbers and we could kind of skate you cannot do that anymore i mean week to week depending on you know where we are last summer there was a (laughs) there were shipping issues and potato blights and gas prices and our potatoes which are kind of important to us rose three times the cost was three times what it was before COVID. Um, so that's number one is we're running metrics all the time and talking about them. Number two is when customers ask, um, we're, like you said, we're just honest with them with like both the ladies here said, I'm noticing in my, um, my own like booking, booking events and booking catering events for both here in the truck. Um, there's no more Mr. Nice guy. So I really can't, eh, let me throw this in or yeah, sure. We'll stay a little longer. I've really got to stick to, our minimums and our costs, because I know from running those metrics so much that I can't really do those um, freebies and favors in the form of, you know, extra time on site or food. Now we try and do it in other ways um, for our customers, but that's another way. And then the third thing is communicating with our staff all the time. We, um, we pull tips across everyone. So our dishwashers are getting the same tip share as um, the people talking to customers, as the cooks, as the people on the trucks. We've really enjoyed that shift the last year or so. Um, sometimes that means that our staff are making $28 an hour. And that's freaking awesome, if I can say so myself, between their wage and their tips. Um, and one of the things that we are always talking about here with the staff is, hey, we're fast casual, which means, or fast classy, um, which means they pay before they even get the food. Mm-hmm. So if they tip you, we have a promise to fulfill to them in terms of service, how good that food is. Um, so it's kind of all over the place talking to customers about cost and, and making sure that like everybody here on our team is invested in, oh yeah, everything is expensive. When people are shopping, like Kelly said, if you go out with a family, um, it costs money. So if people are choosing to spend their money with us, I'm not only excited and thankful for it, but I'm going to make sure that they get their money's worth. Well, this hour has just vanished, but this is why we bring these incredible people on the program, to give you a sense of the work that's happening and how how challenging it is, but also why it's a labor of love for them. And you just heard Ronnie McClive, a petite poutinery and the poutine truck. Ronnie, well, uh, it's great to have you back. And let's, let's talk mm-hmm. again soon. I know there's a lot going on. Good luck with everything you're doing there. Thank you so much. 
Uh, and Kelly, of course, owner of Selena's, chapter president of the New York State Restaurant Association. It's the year of Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Evan. Great to have you back with us. Um, it's uh, rochestercommissary.org. Barb uh, Glassman is the interim president of the commissary. And they'll see you out at The Secret Ingredient on Friday, March 31st. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And Kayla Sandoval, owner of Biscotti Brewers. I want to just tell you, Kayla, as we close here, uh, one of our guests just wrote to us to say, Jason says, he's crying too. Oh, gosh. Love your story. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. More <laughs> connections you. coming up in a moment.